Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. What's up, Fungal Associates? Welcome to Completely Arbitrary, the podcast about trees and other related topics. I am one of your hosts. My name is Alex Croson, and I am alongside... Wow, Casey Clapp. Look at that. It's kind of fun. Casey's kind of fun. playing with a little piece of rubber, Yeah, as is his wand. Hey, Casey. Come on. Come here. Come on. We got to focus. We got to do a podcast here, buddy. There you go. You want to talk about trees? Huh? Yeah. Yeah, I do. You want to talk yeah. about trees? Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Case. I'm not a dog, Alex. No, no, no. You're a man, fully. Thank you. I appreciate this. As am I. Good day. How are you? I'm okay, Casey. Mm-hmm. How are you? On. It's the 24, uh, 24th year of our Lord, uh, this century, 2000. That's right. <laughs> as they say. It's, it, it just rolls off the tongue. Are you having some new year, uh, even though it is now February? Are you it having some, some new year sort of, you're still feeling the transition a little bit? No, not necessarily transition. Just, uh, I guess, uh, you know, it's now uh, past the solstice, so mm-hmm. everything's getting brighter. It's true. And as I look to uh, this year, uh, there's just a lot of unknowns. Like normally, I got a really good idea of where everything's going to go, you know? But I got a lot of little things happening yeah. all over the place and like projects that I'm working on all the time. Uh, I got some trips planned. So it's just kind of like, whoa, oh man, there's all this stuff in front in the future. Yeah. Yet none of it to me seems very like, uh, like structured or planned. Yeah. Just yeah, these yeah. Open, these open wounds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Open wounds. Yeah. Well, that's not quite the term uh-huh. I would use for it. <laughs> Alex, how are you feeling? Festering. <laughs> Festering, getting infected and smelling like bubbles and things. And <laughs> smelling like uh, bubbles. Alex, it smells like shit. bubbles in here. Yeah, sure does. Uh, how am I? I am fine. Mm-hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm feeling the same way, Casey. There's yeah. a lot of unknowns and... Uh, there's probably some planet alignment that can explain it all, but yeah, someone that, said that, something about Jupiter the other day. Doesn't help. Doesn't yeah, it does, help me much. <laughs> it doesn't help. You know what? <laughs> storms on Jupiter don't affect me. <laughs> Casey, well, we've got some really exciting podcast stuff going on. I'll yeah, say that. That is true. We got to jump straight into that. Uh, the first biggest and biggest thing is that we have. I can't. I can't even believe I'm saying it. We have a new mainline series premiering uh-huh. on this on this regular public feed uh, starting Monday, this yes. coming Monday. Count those days out. That's one, two, three, four days away, everyone. That's right. That is February 5th, Case. That's right. You guys, I'm so excited about this. Alex, give us a sneak preview. What do we got? Well, it's called Seed Pod. Wow. It's a, it's extra series that we're going to drop in every now and then. It's yeah. basically going to be us talking with interesting people that we want to talk to about trees. 
That's right. We've we tried this over, uh, you know, over the years. Casey having people on our podcast, mm-hmm. we can never. We always enjoy these conversations, of course, mm-hmm. but we can never quite make it feel like a part of our show. Yeah, we also wanted to talk to him way more. Yeah, than what we got the opportunity for. It's hard to encapsulate an hour long conversation in a five minute segment or whatever. Exactly. Um, so this was our way of getting around that and still talking to cool people about trees. Mm-hmm. And and these are tree loving people. Yes, they are. Or you know we. It's, other related people it might be uh, yeah. just some random people who are you know in some way to be very clear related to trees yeah uh, but we uh, we have uh, you know everything's open we could talk to landscape architects about how they incorporate trees into their landscapes we can talk to a forester an arborist we can talk to a horticulturalist a scientist you name it uh, they're they're a potential uh, interviewee wow thank you and of course we're starting this Monday and uh, the the person we have on this Monday is the enigmatic uh-huh. Phyllis Reynolds. Yeah, everyone who is out there in the world being like, well, who? who? <laughs> <laughs> Phyllis Reynolds is uh, a local Portland tree legend, as yeah. you put her, Casey. Mm-hmm. Uh, a 94-year-old woman with a wealth of experience behind her and in front of her. I'm, I'm positive about that. Yeah, for sure. So uh, we decided, uh, you know, we're not going to give you any, uh, we're, we're going to let you find out as they come who wow. we have interviewed. Yeah. Uh, there's some names out there you're going to recognize. Oh, yeah. But we got to throw it up to Phyllis because, uh, you know, sometimes you got to go straight to your roots and you'll find out more on Monday. But Phyllis is a spectacular kind of enigmatic person here mm-hmm. in Portland. Um, had a lot to do with the tree regulation or more specifically, the Heritage Tree Program in the city of Portland. Grew up right next to the Arboretum. Yeah. Told us stories of the Arboretum when she would ride her horse through in the 40s. Like, <laughs> That's right. It's really an interesting, interesting person, interesting conversation. And so if you want to hear a part of that conversation, it'll be on the Seed Pod drop on Monday. If you want to hear the full conversation, we talked about a lot more than you're going to hear. That will be available on Completely Arbitrary Tremium our support platform. If you're not already, go ahead and uh, support the podcast. Arbitrarypod.supercast.com. Casey. That's right. One more thing, Alex. Just oh, wow. because this is also very exciting. I literally picked these up today. I'm going to unfurl mine. Yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear it. What does it sound like? Oh my God, it's gorgeous. It could, it could be full of books. It could be full of vegetables. It could be... A statement piece on you, your wall. You could put your laptop in it while oh, wow. you go to your local coffee shop to get a brew. What am I? A tote. A tote bag, you guys. Uh, because we are in the the radio sector, we were like, "What are we doing? Why are we not? Why, <laughs> we, how is this even possible?" We have tote bags now. The famous mm-hmm. NPR totes brought to you by Completely Arbitrary, not affiliated with National Public Radio. That's right. They are beautiful. Yes, they are these gorgeous black bags with this golden design that was made by the Tory Gorham, one of our favorite artists, who also did. Our Tree Buds t-shirt. That's right. It is a really cool pattern. It says completely arbitrary. It has all these different kind of tree elements all over it. If you're hearing this now, hey, guess what? They're available. Go get them. They're on our merch store, arbitrarypod.com slash merch. That's right. Now, I, sorry, Alex. I know that was a lot at the beginning, so I'll let you. I'll, I, I I have nothing else to add. Oh, well, Casey, I've got something to add, and that is that we are talking about a tree this week, and that tree is the European horse chestnut, one word I found out. Uh-huh. But we got to talk about this tree after a break. 
go gallop around and listen to some ads <laughs> and come back and talk about this horse chestnut here on Completely Arbitrary. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. Today, we are talking about the European horse chestnut. Yep. Um, scientific <laughs> name. Uh, it's Aeschylus Hippocastinum, Alex. Wow, Aeschylus Hippocastinum. Yeah, isn't that a good one? Well, I, I recognize a couple of those yeah. Latin words. Okay. It doesn't flow off the tongue, does it? Say it one more time. Aeschylus Hippocastinum. Aeschylus Hippocat. No, it it tumbles and trips over the tongue. It does. It really does. Especially like if you compare it with Metasequoia glyptostriboides. Oh, which is like drinking fine wine. Exactly. Yeah. Or having fine wine drip off of your tongue. I guess. Yeah. Exactly. Now, uh, this is a tree that many many people are very familiar with. Oh wow. In fact, <laughs> this is a tree that yes, you dear listener are probably familiar with, and you thought to yourself a chestnut. It's not a chestnut. It's a horse chestnut. Oh, wow. It is not even in the same order. Fagales is in the one. This is actually in the soapberry family, that whole family with the maples and all those other plants, which is the sapindales. Sapindaceae. Yes, exactly. A completely different order, and yet it is still called a chestnut. Well, it's not called a chestnut. It's called a horse chestnut, and that's why it's one word. Exactly. So, not, If it were horse chestnut, it might be a chestnut, as in chestnut. Correct. But it's a horse chestnut. Exactly. All one word, all smashed together, because it's not a true chestnut, just like you would say Western red cedar, no spaces. Right. So you could technically put a dash if you really wanted. Well, let's answer the first question on people's minds, Casey. Do horses eat these things? They do. Okay. That's yes. what I needed to know. Uh, Casey, let's imagine as we do every week. Ooh. Oh, boy. Yeah. That you and I <laughs> are walking. Uh-huh. I'm going to take a, I'm just going to take a swing. Are walking through like a wooded area in Kentucky. Okay. And we come across some European <laughs> horse chestnut. It's funny that you say Kentucky because Alex, I'm sorry, you got confused with the Buckeye. Oh, obviously. You <laughs> silly it's not guy. like I chose a random state. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is I should I should note, uh you you perhaps missed it's the European horse chestnut. Well, we have European trees over here. That is true. That is very true. Um well let's imagine that we're walking through Sherwood Forest. Ah and we come across some European horse chestnut. Casey, mm. let's ID this tree. That is a wonderful place to be walking. Mostly because this is a very common tree to find in the English uh, country. Mm-hmm. However, if you were to find this growing in a native area, in a place that is filled with trees that have been moved around for literal thousands of years, this would actually be from the Balkans. The Balkans. Yes, specifically uh, the mountains uh, through the Balkans, uh, which 
I learned. I, you know how everyone says, like, yeah, the Balkans. And you're like, okay, yeah. Not to be confused, I should say, with the Baltics. Different place entirely. I mean, Casey, did you see the look on my face? I did. It was how, blank. How would you describe it? Well, no, I did this. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I missed that. I looked down when I when you did that. The face was kind of like, ooh, uh, I don't know where that's at. Yeah, it was like a grimace, and I thought, I should probably know where that is. You know, it it is one of those things that I think a lot of people say or hear the Balkans, and they're like, oh, yeah, the Balkans. Well, the Balkans is a region. It is. It's a region so, in southeastern Europe. It's not like a country or, a, or a, a, a kingdom or something. Yes, 100%. Casey, let's talk about this horse chestnut. All right. So it's a it's a lovely tree that grows in, uh, in mostly forests in that area, um, and it is a forest tree. Mm. But if you are not living in that area and you're not living somewhere where it's kind of naturalized a little bit, so England, you can probably find it in the countryside. This is a street tree and a park tree. In the United States, anywhere outside Europe, in Canada, that's where you're going to find it. You'll find it over in the east. You'll find it over in the north. You'll find it all the way over here in the west. Very common tree in parks. Very common tree in your streets. Hmm. Now, it's a big tree, Alex. It grows up with a nice big single stem. It has a very ascending branch habit, which I think is kind of unique, where a lot of people think, well, every branch just kind of grows up and out, right? It's kind of the the classic decurrent growth pattern. Mm -hmm. But this one, along with a tree like maybe the big leaf maple, it has a very specific growth pattern where it has these big, large branches that come up and then kind of arc outwards and kind of almost cascade in, in like, many different waterfalls but imagine the the waterfall is made of ice and the 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 part that is falling is the main stem and then it comes up and kind of curves outwards interesting does that make sense so it's like a waterfall in reverse yeah like a fountain yes well i guess that's a way you can look at it (laughs) i don't mean to (laughs) that's a an interesting idea alex i don't mean to clarify your metaphor here (laughs) i think we should maybe uh we should maybe check with the internet to see if that even makes any goddamn sense (laughs) reverse frozen waterfall reverse frozen waterfall don't take this away from me. no (laughs) results yes it is a very fountain-like uh appearance in my opinion cool now it is uh big it gets very easily up to 75 feet tall i've seen them around there but i think you can probably find a few old ones that are maybe pushing 80 90 maybe 100 feet but that would be in a forested situation a tree that is elderly that is a big broadleaf tree yeah and speaking of broad leaves this is a tree which i am so happy to say has large large leaves can I can I drop the? Do you know where I'm going? Palmately compound. Oh baby, that's Very what I'm rare, talking about. Right? It is the only one that I know of that is in the uh, the temperate region. Certainly in the United States, if you find any trees, this is one of the only things that you'd look at and say that's a tree. It has palmately compound leaves. Very cool. Now, if you want to take that to another level, that is like this is the only tree that is like this add to it that it is oppositely arranged how about that yeah so these leaves are big they are easily the size of dinner plates uh if you're just kind of hanging around wow but if they're coming off of sprouts or if they are like vigorous shoots for some reason they can get up to like 16 inches like i mean 16 inches is 
probably on the extreme side, but they can get like huge, like the size of big leaf maple leaves, like they're giant leaves. Mm. And they, being palmately compound, look a lot like maple leaves. They're all actually in that same order, that same family. So this isn't like too far out of the realm of reasonability that you have a plant that has oppositely arranged and palmately compound leaves. They look really similar to maples except the 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 sinuses go all the way down yeah so it has seven leaflets most of the time by the way sinuses the space between the leaflets exactly thank you alex so each one of these leaflets well actually i should say it's a sinus would be the space between a, a lobe where in this case, the sinuses essentially go all the way down, and then because they go all the way down, they separate the blade into multiple different individual units, which okay. thus makes those leaflets rather than uh, very long lobes like the big leaf maple. Fair enough. Yes, okay. But it was a very good clarification. It was required. So our Aeschylus hippocastinum is a seven-leafed tree, and that is important most of the others that you'll find will not have seven. Most of the other what? Most of the others in this family. So oh. Aeschylus, it's got a, it's a family of several different trees. Sure. As, as you noted the, at the beginning, if we were walking through Kentucky or some other lovely place like that, we might find the native species that we have growing around. So there is the Ohio buckeye, which is the famous buckeye of Ohio. Okay. So anything that you hear that's called buckeye, uh-huh. that is the same genus as what we call this one species, the horse chestnut. These leaves, again, they're huge, they are palmately compound, and they have these, they have seven leaflets. If you're looking at even a closely related hybrid called the red horse chestnut, that one has five leaflets. Yes, I see. And the oppositely arranged twigs, rather I should say buds, if you look at the twigs, their buds are huge. Hmm. They are just gigantic buds. And this is another fun way to tell these two things apart. The buds are these giant, like, I guess I should say, they are in proportion to the size of the leaves. Sure. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, they are... They look big, but then you look at the leaf and you're like, oh, it's got to it's got to go somewhere. It's got to go somewhere. Yeah, yeah. All that DNA <laughs> building up in there. Yeah. You, well, you got to pack it into a, <laughs> the smallest package you can. Sometimes you just can't make it any smaller. Yeah. I mean, like, is the is the leaf, the leaf isn't fully grown when it's in the bud. Um, You know, my understanding is that it is. Oh, it's, wow. But it is more or less so compact. It's almost like cellularly uh, folded together. Yeah. And then the cells both elongate a little bit and then fill with their fluid, all this water and everything when everything uh, starts getting going in springtime. Can we talk about the flowers? Ah, uh, yeah, we sure can. Because these are, oh, Jesus Christ. These are a panicle? They are. They are these <sighs> giant tall panicles. Alex, great job. You panicked, I'm, but I'm, you didn't need to. I'm getting there. You're doing really well. These flowers, oh my goodness. Yeah. They are incredible. Now, they are terminal, so they pop up at the very end of the twigs as they're coming out. And I just think they 
are spectacular. Gorgeous. They are just these little pyramids. They look like little Christmas trees. Yeah. They pop out, and each one of their uh, petals, they have kind of a, a vertical symmetry. So it's a, if you were to cut it horizontally, it would not be symmetrical if you folded it in half. But if you do that with a vertical line, and you take a left and a right, and you close them up, uh-huh. they will be symmetrical. Okay. So they have these long uh, male and female parts, the stamen and pistils, that come out from the bottom and they kind of swoop out. And they have these really gorgeous like patches, splotches of color, pink and yellow most of the time yeah. on white petals. So they look like these like almost like the classic spring colors, these yellows and these pinks and whites, like very Easter looking. Mm. And they pop out in mid spring and they're just, they just cover the tree in these little pyramidal poofs. So once the leaves come out, you have this nice, beautiful backdrop of green. Then the entire tree is just, just covered. It's kind of like the catalpa where you don't think about it. You're just like, whatever. I don't care. Oh my God. And they just (laughs) blow your mind. These are um, these are gorgeous, and I, I will say this: you know, you say pink, and I it, when I think of like pink on a flower, mm-hmm. I think like a nice pale light pink. You know, yeah, yeah. These are like hot '80s hot pink. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, you're gonna see it on someone's hair very soon. I love these flowers, uh, Casey. Uh, beautiful, gorgeous flowers. Who cares? Uh, right. So the reason we're all here. The reason we're all here is the bark. <laughs> Oh, that was good. That was good, Alex. The bark of this tree is a fun thing. It's actually very unique. I, if I'm walking around and I see this bark, I'm like, ooh, horse chestnut, probably. Mm. It breaks up as it gets older into these kind of plates that are circular and small like it's not like you get a big giant plate like what uh what you'd imagine on like a really old red maple or a an incense cedar where it's kind of like these big plates that just kind of pop off a little bit and look like they're kind of coming out Mm -hmm. these are kind of small where it looks like it's something like puzzle piece bark on bigger plates all kind of mashed together. It's like a it's hmm. like a, a medium between the two. Interesting. Little puzzle pieces, or rather big puzzle pieces and and bigger plates. It's it's good looking bark. I mean it really is. it's nothing to shake your nose at, but it's yeah. not it's not mind blowing. Yeah, it's like shaggy, but on a but everything is like all the shag is like an extra level bigger. Mm. You know, and it's not quite as uniform. Like if if you consider the shag bark hickory classically a very shaggy tree the silver maple these the shag is not as intense it's like a it's like if you take all these other trees that have these very much like boom big shaggy bark big shaggy plates very very much platey puzzle piece like stuff and you add those all together this is what it comes wow. out to be you know it's uh, I it, this is a bad metaphor but you know like if you uh you take a bunch of uh, ingredients or, or colors and you mix them all together and it kind of comes out as brown mm-hmm. this is that same thing but if brown was a really beautiful positive mixture of it all <laughs> <laughs> i'm just crushing my metaphors today alex it's pretty good i like yeah. it okay uh casey let's 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 get to the real the real uh center of the party here are you yanking my chain again that is the chestnut. Ah, oh, thank The God. horse chestnut. Thank God that's what you said. I am glad you brought this up. I should say the fruit. The fruit. Oh, interesting. Oh, my God. This is the fruit. The fruit is a capsule. 
It is a hard capsule that is covered in spikes. Yeah. Like it looks like a coronavirus covered in spikes. It is It is the traditional like morning star. Yes. And they don't really hurt. Like if you caught them, they might be kind of pokey, but you're not going to like be like, mm, ow, that, that hurts just to have it touch my skin. Sure. They are not like super needle sharp. True chestnuts, castanea, those are sharp, needle-like, uncomfortable. These are more like, yeah, I guess I technically would call that sharp, but you could hold it in your hand and you could be like, yes, this is fine. They are a nice green. They will split open. Yeah. And when they split open, they will release. And this is the important thing. Gigantic seeds. Those gigantic seeds people call the horse chestnut. Mm-hmm. They are the seeds, and I need to be very clear about this. Okay. They are not a nut. You're doing your NPR thing. Because I want everyone to know how serious I am, <laughs> like an NPR reporter. Here's why you should care about horse chestnuts. <laughs> oh, God. Yes, so this is kind of the fun thing. If you're over in England, you will be saying, ah, a conquer." Because that's what they are. Yeah. This is the classic conquer of Did, the game Conkers. Didn't we accidentally call them knockers once? Oh, yeah, we did. And I, <laughs> I love that. Like, that was, I always thought that was fun. Still think it's fun. Oh, my God. Yeah, these are... Okay, so what you, the, the, the seed of what your idea here uh-huh. is that these are not nuts. Correct. Even though they're called a chestnut. Yes. They are seeds. They are a gigantic seed. Yeah. Yes. So there is no difference in terms of what's going on. The yellow, the kind of hard outside, that's just the outer side that kind of gets hard of the seed. The whole fruit is that capsule with the seed inside. Yeah. Splits open, one or maybe two of those things pop out. It is a really big seed. It is gigantic. Yeah. Are horse chestnuts yummy to eat? They are not. They're in fact poisonous. <gasps> yes, and they taste bad. So you're not gonna you're not gonna really feel like you're like oh come on. Do, do they have like arsenic in them? No, they actually have a. It's a saponin, which is again another thing that makes um, different things in the soapberry family mm. poisonous. Specifically, this is. Asin. Well, it's a great, it's a great looking, uh, it's a great looking cast of characters we got here. So this is actually a moment for me to talk a little bit about arboriculture. Wow. Yeah, and I wanted to bring this up because a, it's on my mind recently uh, as I'm writing uh, some things to send out to the local newspapers to basically say, hey everyone, you're getting, uh, you're getting a lot of facts wrong about how trees work. Mm. And many of you are probably familiar. Over the last couple of weeks, uh, there's been a lot of fallout about trees and a big ice slash windstorm. Yeah, that we, that we had here, right? So I kind of wanted, uh, we, we wanted to go back and talk a little bit about trees and tree things a little bit more. We've been really talking about a lot of stuff all over the place. And you and I sat down and I was like, Alex, 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 I want to talk a little bit about, uh, I want to talk a little bit about trees from the perspective of an arborist. By that, I mean, I want to tell people what an arborist actually does. Yeah. You and I have talked a lot about uh, kind of how I've got to the place that I mm-hmm. am. Like I say I'm an arborist. People have said, Casey, how do you how do you learn all this stuff? What experience do you have? How did you get this job? That kind of thing. But we never really said what it is an arborist does in a sense that is, uh, you know, the final authority because Alex, that's what we are. Wow. So an arborist, what's an arborist? Hmm. An arborist is someone who works with trees. Yeah. Specifically, it's someone who works with trees in and around 
a building or an urban area or some kind of infrastructure that requires something more than just your standard logging practices um, and also for a different purpose most of the time. So their field is arboriculture. That's the field that I work with. We talk about this all the time, but International Society of Arboriculture, that's the professional organization. And an arborist is someone who usually works with one single tree at a time. Hmm. It's not always the case, but it's a good place to start in terms of what we're talking about. So a an arborist is someone who works with one tree at a time in a certain situation in order to manage it for some reason. Maybe that's taking it out. You have a tree growing next to your house that died. It's broken. There's something wrong with it. You're going to do something. You're going to build a new section of house, whatever. You have to have an arborist come over and remove that tree. That is kind of one quick section. And we're going to get a little bit into this a little bit more. But then there are other arborists who come out and would deal with trees on a larger scale. And these are what we call municipal arborists or rather municipal foresters. Municipal foresters. Yes. And and that kind of adds into the second side of it, which is urban forestry. Yeah. Now we've talked about this lots of different times. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to get too far into urban forestry because that's the management of these trees, but on a larger scale where an arborist works generally with just that one or maybe a few trees as a, let's say an inventory or management plan or something like that. So we are going to start there and talk about what an arborist does. Or if you are thinking to yourself, I want to be an arborist, Here's what they do. All right. So is this, now before we get into it, is this like a is this like a blanket thing? Is this true basically everywhere? Yeah, this is true basically okay. everywhere. Now there are cultural differences. You know, there are some people who work with trees on on certain levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the main thing I want to do is contrast this against a forester or an agroforester or yeah. something like that. Okay. So it's the management of trees, not for production of fruit not for production of material, whether that is a forest product or the forest itself, meaning logs and trees and things like that. It's just the management of the tree as a tree. As a tree for the existence of that tree or for the non-existence of that tree. But you're not cutting a tree down because you're going to get a good piece of lumber from it. You're cutting a tree down because someone doesn't want that tree or it's dangerous or whatever reason. There's lots of different reasons that you'd want to remove a tree. But they also will prune the tree. They will manage the tree to be the best tree it can be next to whatever property uh, thing that you have. Mm. But the main purpose is to manage a tree manage a few trees in and around urban infrastructure. Now, when I say urban, I mean just anywhere there's a house, you know? You could be living in a rural place and have trees. That still is going to be, for all intents and purposes, uh, an arborist's job is to work with that one tree on that one property in this one situation. Okay. You're not a logger. Uh, A lot of people would say, yeah, I'm an arborist and a forester. Great. That means you are doing two different things at any one given time. Mm. A logger will log all the trees off and they will just drop them from the ground and that's it. An arborist is someone who is part biologist, Hmm. part rope and rigging specialist, part tree climber, and part manager of people. That's kind of one of the big important things that I think uh, is important to to consider. But it's a lot like uh, a plumber or a dentist. 
where they are specialized to work with a very particular thing. A plumber is knows everything backwards and forwards about how water and sewage and other things flow through pipes. They know how the diameter of the pipe affects how fast it's going to go. They know, well, how much are you going to put into it? How much do you want to go out of it? Mm -hmm. How big and how many circles and kinks and things do you put in those pipes to make the system run smoothly in that house? Then you have a dentist who says, hey, I know everything there is to know about how your teeth work. I know what each one is called. I know what it's supposed to look like. I know how to fix it when there's a problem, and they're very specialized. Now, I make those metaphorical distinctions because an arborist is the same thing, but it's also a generic term. So someone can say, I'm an arborist. And all they do is work with trees. Mm. And that's really the only definition you need. The difference between a plumber and a dentist, rather, a plumber and a dentist versus an arborist, is that to be a plumber or to be a dentist, you have to have certain certifications and qualifications. Mm -hmm. Would you, Alex, get online and say, God, man, my tooth hurts. I, I, need, to, I need to go find a dentist. Right. Go to Craigslist, look up dentist, <laughs> and see what you find, you know? Or would you just Google dentist and, and find someone who just happens to say, yeah, I, 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 I'm pretty familiar with teeth. I can, I can work on your teeth. Sure. And you can hire that person. It's a lowercase d dentist. You're saying there's no official accreditation for an arborist? No. In fact, there is. Oh. But most people just don't know about that. Oh, the, the, the ISA. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that is uh, kind of why trees and arboriculture and arborists are in a unique place in that their, their professional title is a generic title as well. Hmm. Where you don't ever have a generic dentist, maybe maybe not since like the 1800s, sure. where just someone says, well, I'm a dentist, and then they put a sign up that says dentist. Yeah. And then, I also build coffins. Yeah, but. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So plumbers are the same thing. You know, they're specialized. They're in unions most of the time. They uh -huh. have, you know, apprenticeships and years of training and understanding, not only of the pipes and the buildings and the things they're working with, but also the code requirements of sure. a given city to say what it needs to be like and how it needs to certain or how it needs to be built and all those regulations, mm -hmm. right? So arborists are also in that same thing. Only the problem is there is no real uh, there's no real blanket regulations that say in order for you to call yourself an arborist, you must be a certified arborist and have that accreditation through this uh, ISA, this International Society of Arboriculture. So if I wanted to start a private company of uh, arborists, yeah, this arborist service, uh -huh. I wouldn't need to, I mean, I could do it right now yeah. I and, and, and market myself as an arborist. Correct. Wow. Easy as that. Where, can, whereas if it. I wanted to do that with dentistry, yeah, be a little harder to pull off. Yeah, as soon as so, as soon as you get a client and start doing dentist work, then someone's going to be like, "Well, uh, I'm sorry, what?" And then they could sue you and be like, "Yeah, you're not a real dentist. Right? You're not a real plumber." Or if you are, uh, if say you wanted to get your house plumbed, you hire someone, they come out. A lot of times, in order for them to do the work, cities and counties will regulate that and say you must hire a certified contractor mm. to do that. They have to have a certain qualification sure. in order for them to even give you the permit. Like you have to line up that qualified person. 
Sometimes you don't need to. They just come back and check and say, yep, it was done correctly, and then go through it. But that's kind of uh, that gray area where you're taking a little bit of risk into your own hands. Your cousin Joe, who says, yeah, I can do this, does it, and you're like, yeah, it's good enough. And then an inspector comes through and says, no, Mm. this is not how that's supposed to look. That is a lot of times how it is with trees and arborists. So uh, I was saying it's a part skilled worker, part biologist, part rope rigging experts, right? This is what makes you a qualified arborist. And that is what I think makes this unique, where you have to know biologically how a tree works. An arborist should be able to walk Mm. onto your property and not only should they be able to identify the tree, but they also should know how to climb the tree. They should be able to read how the tree grew. They should know the, uh, the body language of the tree, know how it looks on the ground, know what happened to affect that tree. All when they first walk onto the property, they should look around and be able to assess all these things and know how that will affect the tree itself. Then they are usually trained to climb that tree. Not only climb it like someone just jumps in a tree, they know how to use certain ropes, yeah. certain equipment, certain techniques, all designed for tree climbing. And like can can uh, identify which of those techniques and equipment they need to use for this particular tree. Exactly. Then they should also know how to use their saws aloft. Maybe not a chainsaw, but most mm. of the time a chainsaw. Do you know how to use your saw aloft? <laughs> that was good. That was a really good accent, Alex. What was, where'd that come from? Just such a funny thing to say. <laughs> Using a saw aloft. They need to use the saw aloft. Uh, yeah, you have to like give that space in between or else <laughs> <laughs> saw aloft is all just one word, right? Uh, but yeah, funny. that's uh, that is something that a lot of people just don't understand because the... They would use their saws. They are up hanging from ropes inside of a tree. The tree that they are removing often is the tree that is holding them up the entire time. They're Mm. dismantling the foundation of what they're actively on. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It is specialized, complex work because throughout all of this, they have to do it without killing themselves, killing someone beneath them, or smashing these multi-ton, like, 20, 30 feet long or larger pieces of wood into your house. Yeah. Into your neighbor's house, on your car, all these things. Power lines right next door. Hopefully they have a team, right? Generally they do, yeah. Now they should have a team, at least a few people, because you can't run the ropes and drop things down because they do rigging. For those of you who don't know, rigging is when you use ropes to move things around and hold it up and keep things from smashing into other stuff. So rigging, a lot of people understand it in the uh, context of like sailing, where you're rigging are all the different ropes that are holding up your sails. Mm. Same thing, but you're using the ropes to rig around uh, a large piece of wood that you just cut out from a tree. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So you generally need two people to do that. That's kind of the minimum. But for big jobs, multiple people, you can have two or three people up in the tree working at once with their individual people on the ground working the ropes with extra people dragging that stuff over to their chipper, which chips it all into another truck and makes it into very, very tiny little pieces. Um, The people assisting, these are also arborists? They theoretically should be, but the the big difference of an arborist uh, is kind of the level of experience and qualification. So let's say, Alex, you're trying to become an arborist. Great. You can, day one, get a job being an arborist. 
you can call yourself an arborist. Okay. I would say you're a lowercase arborist. Wow. There you go. Sorry, I don't mean to do it, but you're a greenhorn now. Welcome to the company. Oh my God. Now, most of the time- It's like, it's like working on the wall. <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. We're going to make you shovel the uh, the horse shit for a while. <laughs> for I'm Lord Commander. Um, so the best way that I can describe this is that you start as a ground worker. Okay. Now, ground worker is the person who is doing the dragging, essentially. It mm. starts at the very bottom, and they say, great, you've got no experience. You know what a tree is. And then they would you know, talk to me, and I'd be like, ha. Uh, I bet you you do. It's like it's like uh, it's like manual labor. You're just like picking yeah. up stuff, moving it. It's literally out of the all way. it is. Yeah, okay. they just need someone to take that branch that someone in the tree just cut down, mm-hmm. or maybe someone on the ground doesn't matter, and then take that and drag it over to a chipper because usually their their vehicles come with a big truck and a big chipper. Yes, I've seen this. Yeah, and that chipper will take the branch that's one nice big piece and it'll turn it into mulch and throw it in the back of the truck. Cool. Sometimes these trucks have those uh, those lifts on it, so you have like the bucket truckers, what they're what mm. they're called. Don't worry about that. Okay. So that's where you start, and this is where you learn. Okay, how does this whole industry work, and how do you manage the safety of it? Because these chippers are chipping wood, right? Like really hard things. And they turn it into mulch in a matter of seconds. Yeah. Extremely dangerous. That machine has got to be like. You've seen crazy. Yeah, you've seen Fargo, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a oh, wood chipper Jesus. at the end. You know what I sort of <laughs> imagine? You remember James and the Giant Peach? Uh-huh. When uh the tuna, remember the tuna that comes out? It's like a giant oh, metal shark yes. looking yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's got its mouth is like this rotating just a hellhole of, I do remember of that. chipping blades. That's exactly what it is. That's sort yeah. of what I imagine. You're just throwing that in there and it just getting torn to shreds, <laughs> literally. Yeah, it, you, it's spot on. I'm not going to describe any more than that. I want everyone to imagine that. Right. <laughs> it's, it's really scary. It's, yeah. like it's, it's intense stuff. You hear about accidents all the time. Oof. We're not even going to cover that. You want to look that up? You message John Ball and you say, tell me some stories. Wow. It's horrific. Okay. So the first thing that everyone does, and this is if you are a good company, which there are good companies and bad companies. Good companies prioritize safety mm. because they're doing a very dangerous job. 90% of the time over the last, uh, what, 50 or 60 years, they have included logging and arboriculture in like the OSHA safety stuff yeah. for uh, basically is the same thing. Okay. So it's one of the most dangerous things you can do. You're cutting multi-ton stuff aloft on top of things. Uh-huh. It's, it's very dangerous if you don't do it correctly. So they start you on the ground and they say, we're going to teach you how to operate all these machinery correctly. Then you start to learn how to use the ropes. That's kind of the next step, Mm. literally learning the ropes. So what you do at this point is you learn as the, you're still, you're an arborist, but you haven't touched a saw yet. You are holding the ropes and you're listening to the person at the top because they're giving you directions. They're saying, tie this off, hold this, don't let this run. And mm. what they do is they would wrap the other end of a rope called the working end, and they wrap it around their piece, they make their cut, and then that piece falls. It's caught by the rope that sure. you are holding. So you can't let go of that rope or okay. else it just falls wherever sure. it is. Sure. Ideally, uh, or not ideally, but in most situations, they cut it cleanly, that thing is then hanging on the rope, and then you just 
let that rope go mm. a little bit, very controlled, and you just lower that branch to the ground. Perfect. You undo those knots, you throw that thing in the chipper, and then the arborist who's up in the tree continues to work. It's a smart way to do it. Yeah. Where, as opposed, I, what I imagined was them just yelling, timber, and <laughs> yeah. letting them drop. And now, Alex, I love that you have said that because that is a very classic understanding of what arborists sure. do, but that is not what they do. Yeah. At least that's not what the capital A arborists mm. do. Now, capital A arborist is what I would say is a certified arborist. That is the person who's been working as a ground person, then starts to learn how to climb. And they say, here's your harness, here's your hard hat, which they're also wearing hard hats and other safety gear like eye, um, eye protection and um, usually gloves, but not always. And also uh, shoes that are closed-toed, obviously, like you're doing hard work. Not always gloves. Yes, you, it's not a requirement. You should wear gloves because sure. your hands will get torn up. Yeah. But you don't have to. Okay. Not your problem. In fact, uh, have you heard of a gauntlet-style glove? Oh, sure. Yeah. So this is actually a prohibited style if you are using wood uh, in a chipper because mm. the gauntlet can actually get caught oh, geez. On, on a branch. The rest is uh, for you to look up on YouTube. It's not safe for work. No. So if you are starting to do that next step, you learn how to climb. They give you your harness. They say, here are the knots you need to know because like sailing, you need to know very specific knots because this rope is becoming your lifeline. Mm -hmm. It's up into a tree and we're not going to get into all the specifics of how to do that and what to look for. There's other podcasts that uh, are even all about it. But this is when you learn how to climb a tree safely. Climbing a tree safely is then followed by using your saws in the tree safely, followed by learning how to rig down these branches that you're cutting safely. That then is when you'd say, great, I have my experience. Maybe I got a degree from a community college, which I highly recommend going to community college for this. It's a good fantastic education for much cheaper. Mm -hmm. If you want to go higher, you can get many different four-year degrees from lots of colleges and universities around the country. Then in arboriculture, is that what you're, is that yes. what you're studying? Okay. Excuse me. Yes. Cool. Most of the time. Now, some of it, it's like, well, like you get a, a degree in this focused in arboriculture or okay. something like that. It just depends on the program. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I don't think there's anything that technically says you have a uh, bachelor's of arboriculture. Mm -hmm. That doesn't, I don't think it exists right okay. now. But you are getting the same thing. You know, six one way, half a dozen another. Got it. So you become a certified arborist. You pass your test. That is when one of my old coworkers would say, you have your learner's permit. Yeah. So now you have the basics and you can start saying, I'm an arborist with a capital A. Mm. But that means that you not only have at least the equivalent of three years experience, you've passed a standardized test that says you know a basic amount of knowledge. Mm. You also sign a pledge of essentially morality. Oh, like a... Uh Hippocratic Oath? Yes, exactly. For, for arborists? It's kind of like that, yeah. <laughs> it's the, it is the code of wow. ethics. Wow, yeah. okay, interesting. I know, you never quite think about it, but it's important because now someone is certifying that you know what you're talking about. Yeah. You are now a specialized person. So if you, Alex, and I, Casey, go to a tree and I say, that tree is very dangerous, it needs to be taken down, you go to that tree and you're like, ah, that tree's fine. Don't mm. worry about it. Who are we to trust? Or, I mean, like, uh, I think a, I think a better example, Casey, would be the reverse, 
where the, a person, an arborist goes out who wants to make money. Yeah. They find a tree. Uh, you know, someone calls them about a tree. They go out there. The tree looks fine to them, but uh-huh. they go, yeah, I'm going to need to take it down. It's super dangerous. And, and charge you $4,000. Um, you are a victim there. The the homeowner is because they yeah. know better, right? So they are now they are now uh, 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 going against their oath of they're they're an oath breaker. <laughs> they are they're an oath breaker. Yeah. Now we're gonna throw them off the wall. <laughs> oh man. You no, know, you are so that is exactly perfect, Alex. Okay. Like, I can imagine people doing that. Yeah, and it's not uncommon. Like it's actually quite common. Yeah. And it's a big frustration because there's no there's no ethics board. They technically will allow this but they the international society of arboriculture mm-hmm. will technically allow you to basically make a complaint about an arborist but they just don't have the capacity to actually follow up and do investigations yeah. to like disbar you if you're a bad lawyer or something like that and the average person especially if you're like calling out an arborist to take a look at something the average person knows so little about trees yeah that it would probably be a e- pretty easy game to be is, like yeah. to just pull the wool over people's eyes and charge them a bunch of money they don't need to pay. Very well could be a racket. I could absolutely come up with some companies or at least situations where that's mm-hmm. exactly happened. Where it also happens if a uh, let's say a developer wants to remove this tree so they can get one extra unit on this property. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, well that tree's in really bad shape. You know, you got to cut down. There's no way we could save that tree and, and do anything on this property. So it's got to be got to be removed. Sure. Their recommendation: remove the tree. Who's paying these people? It's the developer. Um, the developer says, I hired my arborist to look at this tree. My arborist says, bad tree. Can't yeah. Do it. So that there's like the, the code of ethics becomes really important, but it has no teeth. It is very much a self-regulated kind of thing. Okay. It's the honor system, really. It's the honor system. You know, if you have a bunch of bad actors telling you one thing and you have a bunch of good actors telling you the other, there's no way for you to really know who is who. Hmm. Now, there are extra levels that you can get, though, to kind of outclass other people. And this is where you take your certified arborist to the next level of, I know more than you, I'm more well-qualified. And that would be doing something like the board-certified master arborist, which basically is a whole other level where you have to specialize in science and in management and in practice. Oh, You have to have these three big levels of experience, take a gigantic test, like uh-huh. three times the size or something. Wow. And then you have to pass in each one of these levels. So it's far more comprehensive. Okay. But more detailed. And then whenever you get your continuing education credits, you have to get them in these individual sections, which means you're kind of doing these intense studies on all these different things or going to conferences and learning about these particular things. You can't just uh, forget it, take your test and then just get general credits, but only do it in like, you know, tree climbing, but never learn about tree biology, mm. that kind of thing. In this case, you have to learn all of it. You have done this. I have, yes, you I have. You are a bird, bird certified. <laughs> <laughs> we approve. <laughs> That's right, it's right. You are a board certified <laughs> master arborist. Yes, and that is the term, and this wow. is again through the ISA, and we could have a whole other conversation about ISA being a racket. Don't get me started wow. on that. It's, it's People are upset because it doesn't have any teeth. So I'm, I'm very surprised you know, to hear you say that, Casey. It's a whole other conversation we don't have time. Okay. Now, another thing that you can get is the tree risk assessment qualification. Oh, sure, yeah. And this, in my opinion, is the best that there is. And the reason for that is that you as an arborist can learn 
all the the different body language and signs and symptoms on a tree mm-hmm. and determine the health of it, determine if it's going to fall, and learn a lot more about the the biomechanics of how this tree works, how it functions. You need to learn the biology as well as the non-biologic things, the abiotic factors affecting health. Then figure out, okay, what is going to make this tree fall down? What's the profile of this tree to begin with? Then what is going on around it that'll tell you Mm. the risk assessment of this tree, which boils down to what is the likelihood of this tree or a part of this tree failing? And then what is the likelihood of that striking a target? And what would be the consequences of that strike? Okay. So you might call out a, uh, the city might call out a risk assessment person. Uh, TRA. Wait, yeah, thank uh, you. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. What do you What do you call them? I, uh, we would just call them a qualified tree risk assessor. So you okay. just say, hey, well, you need to uh, call someone, call a qualified uh, tree risk assessor arborist. Okay. Something like that. And then, uh, then an arborist would come out later mm-hmm. and do what needs doing. Precisely, yeah. And, okay. they, and often they can be the same thing. So I can, in a technical oh. sense, I can be all of these things at once. Okay. So I can walk out to a tree. I can give you that assessment. I can tell you the risk. You, as the owner of that tree, you're the risk manager. Mm. So that means that I'm not making the decision. I'm giving you the information to make your decision. I cannot tell you this tree is just fine and convince you. I can just say, here are the facts of the situation. Per my experience, this tree is a medium risk. And then they would say, well, would you keep it? And I would say, I can't answer that question for you. This is your tree. You're the risk manager here. If you are totally fine taking on a medium risk tree, then you're good to go. If medium risk is too high for you because the target is too high of value, that could be too much. And then you'd want to do some management. Then I technically could go out and say, all right, let's prune this tree to reduce the risk of this branch falling or of the whole thing keeling over something Mm. like that. So that is like the the kind of the, the pinnacle, I would say. The pinnacle of being an arborist? Yeah. It's like the most qualifications that you can get. That's the most letters you can put after your name. You know what I mean? Yeah. What does the board certification give you in terms Uh, of letterage? Oh, BCMA is what it's called. BCMA, Board Certified Master Arborist. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then you would do capital T-R-A-Q for TRAC, which is your qualification for tree risk assessment. Okay. Yeah. You know what this this all sounds like and reminds me of, Casey? It's like a first grade teacher. Oh yeah, I suppose I suppose like an elementary teacher in general. In terms of like having these dots and names uh, or not, something. No, like in in the way that you interact with the job, like you are, as the arborist are the uh-huh. teacher. Yeah, your real clients are the trees mm-hmm. or the children, right? Uh-huh. You live to you you work to serve them. Oh yes, but there's yes, yes. this pesky thing called the parents. <laughs> Or the person who owns the property that the tree is on, right? Okay, I'm with this. Yeah, and you have to kind of like you have to you know you have your teach you have your conferences and you have to talk to the parents. You say, well, I really think that you know Jimmy would benefit from some tutoring in math. You Uh know, and and they're like, oh no, he's fine, he's fine. I'll take care of that at home. (laughs) Like, I really okay, that's fine. Sure. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There are people who are like, sounds good. I'm going to do everything that you recommend. Yeah. We're going to get tutoring. We're going to turn off the TV. And we're going to do that. Totally. And that kid really benefits. And you're like, okay, that's a, that's a working case that that's great. That's brilliant, Alex. That's exactly (laughs) it. 
Well, that yeah. So you are the first grade teacher equivalent of uh, yeah. of big trees. Yeah, that's it. You got to speak to the children the way they understand, the same way that you have to, you know, work with the tree and, yeah. and, in tree terms, mm. not in people terms. I love that. That's perfect. Well, great. Well, so the last thing, just to kind of wrap it up, is yeah. like, okay, great. You have all this uh, experience. You've done the the dragging of the brush. Not every arborist climbs trees. Some become municipal specialists. That's what I did. In mm. fact, I've climbed trees probably a iota of the time that most other people have. But most people know arborists as those people that climb trees. Yeah. But there are arborists that are the municipal arborists that go and apply regulations. So they're specialists. They know they probably have experience climbing or something else. But they are able to look at a tree and regulate that and be the person who says, I know what I'm talking about. I'm representing this organization that says we're going to keep these trees here's the regulations you can keep that one that one should be removed we're going to plant these ones over here and they kind of manage it on this like kind of macro scale Hmm. then there are the climbing arborists or the commercial arborists they're the ones who are you are the tree care companies that you give a call to that you say great i need this tree removed i need this tree pruned i want to do that they come out they say great it's going to be like this here's my recommendations here's what you should do here's what you shouldn't do it'll be this much to do it that's the commercial arborist. Then there are the arborists who do like consulting. They're the ones who, Alex, try to get rid of that uh, conflict of interest you brought up earlier, mm. where you want to make your money off of this tree. So you're going to say that's a high risk tree. You can't, you got to get rid of it. Yeah, yeah. Consulting arborists, theoretically, uh, many of them don't do any of the pruning at all. Hmm. They don't do any cutting. They will recommend people if you want them to, but what they focus on is giving you the non biased, absolute best assessment of that tree in that situation as they can. It's like a second opinion from a doctor. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So this is, uh, this is what I have done most of my, my time as an arborist other than working for the city where I was that regulator, mm-hmm. the climbing and other stuff I've done on the side with, uh, my other friends who are far more qualified than I am. Mm. But the way that, um, that works is I would, as a consultant say, yes, uh, here's the tree. Here's the situation. Here's what I recommend you do uh, for this tree. Or if you want to remove a tree or you have some other thing else that you need a report for, you need to fill it out, you name it. There's a thousand different things. That's what a consulting arborist would do. Okay. And they don't do any of the pruning. They don't do any of the cutting. So they're not going to say, here's my assessment. Oh, and here's my uh, here's how much it would cost sure. if you wanted me to do that assessment. They're, they're only getting paid to consult. Yes. So they have no... They have no... Um, yeah. Dog no, in the, in the fight. Yeah, yeah exactly. the, they they have no reason to lie to you. Yeah. Uh, I guess they could. I guess part of the racket could be lie to you and say, "Yeah, I got a guy I can recommend." And uh, then just yeah. split the profits, right? right. There's always mm, there's always some Let me take way. Some notes. <laughs> <laughs> Alex is gonna become a qualified consulting arborist. Yeah. Well, I've run a tree podcast for three <laughs> years, and uh, hey, might get you there. <laughs> but ultimately, that's a that is those are the things that you could do. As an arborist, one from the start to the finish. Uh, But the way that I think you'll become the best is start getting a job, just working with trees. Uh, You could do what my good friend August does. And shout out to August. He's one of my favorite tree people. He's a planter. So Hmm. he has specialized with his crew planting and maintaining, establishing trees. And that's another side that a lot of people don't even think about. They're like, oh, well, we manage and cut and prune and do all these things. There's a whole other side of arborists, like Friends of Trees, your local tree nonprofit trying to increase canopy. 
They are all about planting the right tree for the right place, making sure it's the right depth, making sure that you don't have roots doing the wrong thing. And they are kind of the, the, the people who are protecting us in making our forest in 50 years the best that it can be. Cool. So there are infinite ways you can do this. Start by learning everything you can about trees. doesn't matter. Kind of just make sure it's a good source you're learning from. Don't just YouTube tell me about trees. Make sure at least if they do, you know, it's uh, just check who's telling you this stuff. If anything, Casey, I love the the simplicity of the metaphor where to become a master arborist, you're literally working from the ground up. Oh, boom, Alex. That's totally it. That was our discussion of arboriculture. And a little bit of the European horse chestnut. A little bit. And after the break, we're going to give a rating to this tree. But we got to play some ads first. Enjoy. You know, try try looking at it a different way. Try enjoying the ads. Uh, we'll be right back with Completely Arbitrary. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. Casey, what is wrong? Well, Alex, I forgot we were talking about the horse chestnut. <laughs> <laughs> I am such an idiot. Like, you can look at my notes. I On my notes, I say, use the horse chestnut as a central piece in describing oh, what an arborist wow. does. <laughs> I'm very upset with myself. You got a little excited, pal. I did. I just started thinking about it because the whole point is, I was going to say, now let's say, here's a, here's a horse chestnut. Sure. You're going to go and be an arborist on this horse chestnut. Let's all just take a deep breath. This podcast sucks. No, it does not. <laughs> For once, I'm the one telling you this podcast does not suck. <laughs> oh, man. I just oh. completely, completely got off on my own thing. Yeah. Didn't even uh, didn't even think about it. You thought we were just recording some a bonus episode where yeah, you got to talk probably, about arboriculture? Yeah, that's all I got to do. Oh, I was looking forward to it so much. I <laughs> shoot myself in the foot. Well, okay. So just as a real quick... You could do any of those things on a horse chestnut. Yes. Way to tie it all back, Damn Case. it, Alex. I even picked this tree because it's such a common urban tree. You find it all over the place. Well, Casey, here's what I'm going to do for you. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to bring up my timer. Okay. I'm going to set the timer for two minutes. Two minutes? Two minutes. You what think a, you can do it? What am I supposed to do? Oh, describe it. You're okay. going to describe why... You brought why you tied this into the horse chestnut. Okay, okay. you're gonna bring it home. Okay, I'm bring it home. I'm gonna do it. Alex. This is the last lap. Okay. Yes. And you got a sprint. Oh my god. Okay. And I am not even gonna say a word. Okay. 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 Are you feeling ready? I am. Okay. Two minutes starts now. So you're an arborist. Well, let's start with the horse chestnut. Now this is a really common tree you're gonna find throughout the urban area that you're working in. So you walk up to this horse chestnut and you think to yourself, man, I got this horse chestnut. I'm gonna need an arborist to take a look at it. Well, what the heck is an arborist? The arborist is gonna walk up to this horse chestnut. They're gonna look at it. First, they're gonna look at you and say, you got a horse chestnut. They're going to identify that tree, step one. They're going to know how to manage that tree from start to finish. They're going to know what that tree is supposed to look like, where it's supposed to be growing, how it's growing. They're going to be able to identify what's happened to it in the past. What pruning was done? Was a root cut? Was it top sometime? Is there any decay? Is this the right tree for the right place? Is it healthy? Then they're going to look at you and they're going to say, because of my experience in working with trees, I can tell you that this horse chestnut should probably be raised up to accomplish your pruning objectives because as an arborist, I'm always going to tell you that you need to have an objective before pruning. Don't just prune to prune. That's pointless. Then one minute remaining. You're going to make sure that 
you are talking with that property owner to say, hey, what exactly is it that you want to accomplish with this tree? Let me tell you, there's a broken branch up there. That is a thing that needs to be managed in this way. So let's make sure to prune it to accomplish uh, these safety things that I am qualified to tell you about because I know trees. You as a person would just not necessarily know. You might have specialized in writing code. You might have specialized in dentistry. It is not your job, homeowner, to know everything there is to know about that tree, just the same as it's not your job to know everything about plumbing or electrical or your roof. So you hire me, I'm the expert, here's what you're going to do, then I say here's how much it would cost, I'm going to climb that tree, I'm going to do all the work on it, I'm going to prune it, I'm going to cut it, and then I'm going to say here's what you need to do for the next five years to look at this tree because it's a tree, it's not going to change too much in five years, but give me a call if you see something crazy. Did I do it? What a terrible mistake I made. <laughs> Alex, you glossed over there. You realized you, what you actually asked for. Did I do it in less than two oh, minutes? Oh, yeah. You had six seconds left. No way. Yeah. That was oh, our geez. discussion of the European horse chestnut. It's time to give this tree a review. And here's how it works. We're going to give some final thoughts on it and give it a rating of zero to 10 golden conquers of honor. Oh, Casey, nice. as a resident board certified master arborist, we begin with you. I'm going to give this tree a 7.6. Nice. The reason I'm going to do that is because I can't talk more about it because I already got my two minutes. <laughs> hey, I like this. I think they're really beautiful trees. I really do. The yeah. flowers are just out of this world. Mm -hmm. They do become very, very messy in the fall time, those big uh, conkers oh, that come out. Oh, sure. No one picks them up. They just kind of get over there, cars crush them, uh, birds eat them. They, they're very edible. That's the real price of being around one of those trees. Yeah. Like, uh, wait till, like, I, I always think of like, man, I'd love to have like a fruit tree, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And then come, come end come of spring, season, yeah. you know, like that sidewalk is going to smell like mead. Exactly. Yeah. So they're, I, I, they're also, they're overplanted. There's a lot of them. I don't think that they are uh, bad trees by any means. They're pretty good at getting rid of decay. They're nice trees to have around. I think they're beautiful. They're big. They can take tough conditions. So they are as much as they need to be. Don't plant any more, but don't take any of them down if they don't have to be because mm. they're really nice, big, tough, gorgeous, large canopy trees that are just spectacular in spring. So 7.6 is my rating. Wonderful. What about you, Alex? I know I talked a lot about tree things on an arboriculture side. It's not necessarily your favorite thing in the world. It's okay. okay. I, you know, I found I found some moments of joy. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Is that when your eyes were closed and you'd almost fall uh, asleep? <laughs> I was imagining what I'm going to have for lunch. <laughs> um, a moment of joy. <laughs> no, I liked it, Case. Um, I, I, this tree's got it all, I think. That's a nice way to put it. Uh, there's, there's nothing I dislike about it. As far as I know, I have some familiarity with horse chestnuts. Yeah, okay. You seen the um, leaves? You you played played conkers? I'm a bit of a con conquerphile. Oh, um, he watches it on YouTube. As a state champ. What? Back I didn't in my know day, that. I Jeez. could conquer conquer too. I had no idea, Alex. <laughs> Look at you. You're an athlete. Uh, in in a you know in a in tree terms, it's great emotionally i it's it, i don't connect with it all that much mm. but as a tree and mm -hmm. uh, we have a lot of role reversal here casey yeah. i think it's pretty great so i'm gonna give it a 7.99 whoa i can't almost. quite break into that eight it, you can't quite get there eight You're, golden conkers. you reached an azimuth of nine 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 i see okay it, the the shell is just starting to split but it doesn't count as a point because it didn't break open it's not open it's not cracked nope 
All right. 7.99. All right, cool. For the horse, for the European horse, Mm -hmm. chestnut. Mm -hmm. Casey, that was our review of the European horse chestnut. It's time for our completely arbitrary AMA. Casey, this week's question comes from completely arbitrary Tremium. If you want to support this podcast and get access to AMAs and get access to, gosh, bonus episodes, Mm -hmm. bonus video episodes. Live stream. Live streams, monthly cone stickers. The Cone Club is on there. Join up on arbitrarypod.supercast.com. This week, our question comes from Giselle. Giselle says, Casey. All right. Hi, Giselle. Does the tree of heaven... Oh, God, are you okay? ...have any redeeming qualities on its own turf? Wow. Or does it suck er everywhere? Wow. Wow. Interesting question. Well, actually, this is a very good question in the sense of like... um, well, if it's an invasive tree here, it must have come from somewhere. It must be native to a spot. Sure. Right? So on its own turf, I would say that it does have redeeming qualities. It grows quickly, and it can be a nice shade tree. It's mm-hmm. also like very good fodder. Like goats and animals love to eat the leaves. And it grows so fast. Exactly. You you can, get, they can feed on it every damn day. Exactly. So that's a, that's a good thing. Okay. But it's also a kind of uh, tree that in its native habitat is kept in check by its native, I don't want to say predators, but by its native habitat, essentially. Mm. So like Japanese beetles, a really important invasive insect in the United States right now. And that, uh, oh no, I'm sorry, uh, lanternfly, uh, the uh, the gorgeous, beautiful one that everyone's like, this is the most beautiful insect I've ever seen. Horribly invasive. Oh, you're supposed to kill it. Yes, exactly. So this plant is, so that insect is drawn to the tree of heaven wow. like a moth to a flame. So they actually are not cutting down some of them so that all of these lanternflies who come over and go like find that tree so oh, they can wow. kill all the lanternflies. Isn't oh my God, it's bait. It is literally a bait tree, yeah. Oh my gosh. So in its nat- native habitat where both the spotted lanternfly and the tree of heaven exist naturally, they keep each other in check. Mm. They absolutely are part of the ecosystem. Sure. So it does create different things, but it's a tree that has grown around everything that can essentially be like, yeah, I I can handle it. Like it's it's like a it's like you have a you have a a big uh, let's say uh, an athlete. You're playing a bunch of sports, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, who's this new guy? This new guy comes up, and uh, they're just like really really good, and you're just like, I hate you because you're so good. Everyone's really mad because they're just like way better than everybody else. Yeah. But then that person goes back to their family, and they were raised in a family of excellent athletes their brothers their sisters their parents their aunts their uncles everyone around them their entire city their entire town specializes in this so they go back and they're nothing special sure they're just another another uh, uh, block walker doing their thing <laughs> those old block walkers yeah you know hey, it's the superman thing right superman comes to earth and he is superman yes but on his home planet he's just like a regular joe he's just man yep yeah. he's just man they just call him man over <laughs> yeah, there it's just man yeah that's exactly it so in its native habitat it's probably a very good competitor yeah but it is not out competing and shutting down the forest sure there are other things that are basically saying yeah no no 
I gotcha. I'll handle it. I guess uh, invasive species are pretty much just like superstar athletes who crush <laughs> everyone <laughs> they really to the are. point where it's not even really fun. Yeah, when and it's you get kind them, of a problem. You, spot on. Yeah. Great metaphor, Alex. Well, you came up with it. Oh, wow. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Giselle, <laughs> for your question. Uh, if you've got a question for us, join up and support on our completely arbitrary premium. Become a premium member at arbitrarypod.supercast.com. We'd love to have you. Casey Clapp. That's right. Alex Croson, we did it again. I say we I say we shut down the studio here. Huh? Go out to the schoolyard and play some conkas. I'm gonna destroy your conker, <laughs> dude. I'm gonna have I, a tenor. I have a feeling you would probably be really good at conkers. <laughs> I should start playing sometime. You just like are you're, you're just your your talent comes from your competitive nature oh, alone, you know. Wow. So you're just like you're tr- you try really hard, which makes you good. Oh, thank you. That's really <laughs> sweet of you. Uh, hey, as we mentioned at the top of the episode, we got a new show coming up Monday, the premiere of Seed Pod. Check that out. Yeah. Check out the new tote bag on the store, arbitrarypod.com/slash/merch. And get yourself a great new t-shirt to rep this podcast. We'd be happy to have you wear our logo on your body. Was that good? That was really good, Alex. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Completely (laughs) Arbitrary. We'll see you next time. Bye. Completely Arbitrary is produced by Alex Croson and Casey Clapp. Our artwork is by Jillian Barthel, and our music is by Aves and the Mini Vandals. If you want to support this podcast and get cool rewards, head over to Completely Arbitrary Tremium at arbitrarypod.supercast.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>